Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for men who correct us and, and teach us. We pray that this morning I'll be able to use your word to help us in our love for you and your fatherhood and our submission and our fear for you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, a couple of days ago, I thought I was preaching on um, Romans as we go through Romans, and then it occurred to me that this is Father's Day. And so we have a a tradition in this church of preaching on motherhood and fatherhood on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And so I was casting about about what text to use and, and, and what were the things that we as a church need to hear. And preaching always is, is personal and specific to the flock. You don't just feed your cows anything. You choose a feed mix based upon, you know, the butterfat content, you know, calving, all different kinds of things. And so sermons to us as a church should be specific to us and what we need. And I'm going to tell you what I think we need as a church right now on the issue of fatherhood, and that is... We need to have wives be respectful in how they speak of their husbands and to their husbands. So if if I'm going to design a a, a particular feed for us as a church, for me, for you, I want us to have our wives be more respectful in the way they speak to and of their husbands. All right? So that's my goal. All right. And that's a good goal for, for Father's Day, right? You'll all agree with this, okay? Now, how do we get there? Well, this is a text that came to my mind. And this text is from Malachi 1, verse 6, and it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? This is the word of the Lord. Now you see at the end of this verse that the end of it is the, 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 uh, the denial of God's people that they need to hear the rebuke that God's giving them, right? You see that that question at the end is, Them saying, we don't despise your name. How have we despised your name? Right? And so this is God as the prosecuting attorney. And God is saying to his people that although they honor their fathers, and although they honor their masters, that they're not honoring him. You see that, right? And he's saying, where is my honor, and where is my respect? Now, if God can do that to us, we can do that to one another. If you're a teacher, it's perfectly proper for you to say 
to your students, where is my honor? Where is my respect? You know, sometimes you watch these videos of, of people being stopped by, by a policeman, a law enforcement officer, right? We've all watched at least one of them, right? And you see people giving them the Dickens, I mean, with obscenities, with absolutely everything. And the, the law enforcement officer just stands there and is very respectful and, and is not allowed to rebuke them for their attitude, you know? It's just, well, ma'am, you were speeding, and I'm going to give you a ticket. And, and obscenity after a bribe, and you know who my friends are, and Hillary Clinton's going to come after you, and all this stuff. And he says, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I'm going to give you a ticket, you know? you know? They never deal with the attitude. They never deal with the tone, right? And God is saying to his people, a son honors his father, and a servant his master, and then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Well, so in other words, it's the pastors, it's the elders that are not honoring God. And so... What's the saying in Scripture? The saying is like priests, like people. Right? We're all just like our pastor. And so, look, if we don't have respect for authority as a church, and if we're proud, it's because Tim Bailey doesn't have respect for authority, and he's proud. Now, does that mean that Tim Bailey can't preach a sermon on this? No. It means Tim Bailey better. And the sermon better start with himself. And so this is a sermon where I'm going to say to all of you what I would say regularly to my children, do as I say, not as I do. And if you don't like that, remember that hypocrisy is a tribute that virtue pays to vice. Or vice pays to virtue. Now, let me take you through a little bit of an adjustment about this verse so that you don't think that this is a sermon immediately as it presents to you, a sermon simply about us honoring God as Father. That would be the cheap way of dealing with this text. I would preach to you a sermon that says that you should honor God the way you honor your fathers, right? That would be the way that 99.99% of us would, would preach this until what? until we realize that this rebuke, what? This rebuke, what? This rebuke does not work with us. Can you see this? And why doesn't it work with us? It doesn't work because we don't honor our fathers. And because we aren't even servants. (laughs) Another word for servant, scripture's slave. We done been woked out of servanthood. Now, do you agree with me that we don't honor our fathers? Do I need to prove the case? All right, let me let me just for the sake of humoring me, listen as I prove the case. 
The Western world today is, in large part, patricidal. The Western world is caught in an orgy of the killing of fathers. There is no honor for fathers today. In fact, one could make a reasonable case that one of the principal work that governments do in the Western world today is that they give themselves to dissing and shielding and removing sons and daughters from the authority of their fathers. And, again, like priests, speaking of government authorities, as the priests they are today, the religion of the world today is statism, Idols of Destruction by Schlossberg. It's the whole premise of the book that what we worship today is government. We look to government as being our lord and provider. You know, we vote for government to give us what we need. And pretty soon we need a higher education. The government will give us not just health care, higher education. Everything is aimed at Washington, D.C., And so, because Washington, D.C. is patricidal, because Washington, D.C. is perpetually separating children from their parents, starting with abortion, they tell your child that your child can go and kill your grandchild without you even knowing about it. Now they're telling you that you can't teach your son to be a man or your daughter to be a woman because that's against the law. Okay? We, having imbibed the the values of our civil magistrates, we ourselves engage in patricide. And it is the entertainment that we live and move and breathe. Fathers are disrespected. Fathers are mocked. Fathers are lampooned. Fathers are slapped. Fathers are humiliated. Fathers are killed. We live in the midst of patricide. Now take the Me Too movement as an example. We all know that it is common for men to abuse women. Everybody knows this, right? We don't talk about the abuse of women of men. That happens too. But it is predominantly, or more numerically, or higher percentage, men abusing women and men abusing children. We know this has happened, and we know it's reprehensible. We know that such sin should be condemned by all, including condemned by pastors and elders. We all know this, right? There's no question that these goals of Me Too are absolutely proper. And furthermore, it is proper for us to condemn not just the perpetrator, not just the predator, but anyone who has conspired to cover up that predatorial actions. And that's thanks to Andrew. You know, that was what he was trying to explain to me, that the Me Too movement is not just about predators. It's more, I I think I would almost say more, about condemning the good old boy network and the cowardice that allows these men to continue in the positions of trust. Are you all with me? Me Too is not just against abuse, it's against complicity with abuse. And if anything, women get angrier about that complicity. And so Andrew says that the perfect example of this, come on up, Andrew, come on up. 
explain this to them. Explain it about Cho. Yeah. After hearing the first service sermon, I pointed out to Tim that one of the best examples that I remembered of a father in society, someone who held a position of respect and authority, who was trusted, falling and failing is Joe Paterno at Penn State. Because for his entire career, he was lauded as a father to these young men, a trainer to these athletes, a strategist, a coach, a man. He dominated in that, in that, um, in that dynasty. At Penn and they State. called him Papa Joe. And they called him Papa Joe. And then to find out that for decades, he had willfully turned a blind eye to ongoing predatory child abuse by a senior member of his coaching staff. When that came out, all of that other thing, everything else he'd done was just gone. All of it. Titles, fame, wins, records, his statue taken down. He was fired by the university. He died shortly after that. It was just like 100 to zero. He was gone. And he had been respected as a father. He was the quintessential coach. Father. And it was all gone because of that complicity. Thank you. And so in the first service, what I was saying is the end of Me Too movement is that nobody is willing to trust men with children and women anymore. And so that ends up being patricide, right? I had a relative of mine tell me about eight years ago that, that she didn't care who it was, no man should ever be left alone with a child. Actually, I'll tell you, it was my sister. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> are you serious? Do you not know the difference between a predator and a father who loves his children? Seriously? Is this what we have to go to to protect our children, right? And the answer, I'm sorry, but the answer of me too is yes. Now, that's where Andrew and I would disagree because, well, we don't disagree, but he's making a distinction and saying, no, what they're against is the complicity of men who know there's a predator and will not do anything to protect the women and children from that predator. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Well, most of you here are Christians. You're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you may not participate in the patricide that consumes our society. You may not turn a blind eye to the toxicity of the Me Too movement and of the Black Lives Matter movement and of the woke movement. Christians are not stupid because Christians have been formed by the Word of God. And the Word of God never makes the, the, the culture warrior distinctions that everybody's trying to fit you into. Christians understand that you can be against what is happening to a guy like Paige Patterson and also think that Paige Patterson has failed, right? I mean, Christians are capable of knowing themselves and therefore not having standards for other people that are completely unrealistic. Now, you might be upset that I'm using Paige as an example, and so I'll say to you, I don't care who you choose as an example. Choose me. It wouldn't surprise you to know that I have done some of the things that people are being accused of in publicly, and you would still have me as a pastor, but there are other things people are being accused of publicly that you'd boot me out in a heartbeat, right? 
It matters that children are abused. It matters that women are abused. I have trouble saying this, but it even matters that Hollywood starlets are abused. And if you don't know why I say I'm having trouble saying it, uh, don't be so kludgy and clunky. All right? Now listen to me. We all know it's common for men to abuse women, including their daughters and wives. This is reprehensible, and such sins shall be condemned by all, including pastors and elders. We should never stop working day and night with tears to protect our Christian sisters, mothers, wives, and daughters in the church and do the same in the public square and in our neighborhoods from love of our neighbors and love of our fatherland. We should even protect our neighbors from the complicity of their pastors and their policemen and their judges and their social workers who turn a blind eye to the condition of the children in the home. We should be concerned about the coroner who doesn't want to investigate what we think is a murder in the home. These are the things we deal with in the ministry. Okay? You shouldn't just expect from your elders that they will discipline an abuser. You should expect that they will discipline the mother who has covered up the abuser and has allowed the children to continue to be abused because she doesn't want to lose her marriage. Are you all with me? And man, these things you all understand are difficult, right? Now, To those of you who may not know our pastors and elders and the men of this church, this is the work we ask God to help us do each day, each week, each month, and each year. We ask God to help us defend the widow and orphan in their distress and to comfort the fatherless by breaking the jaw of the wicked. We see to honor our wives and sons, seek to honor our wives and daughters and our mothers not lording it over them or abusing them in any way ever. And when one of us fails in this foundational commitment of godliness, we discipline him. And if he's broken the law, we take him to the police and require him to confess his crimes. And if you're new and you don't trust that what I'm saying is true, ask any woman in this church after the benediction, and she'll tell you that I speak the truth. I'm not saying we're without sin. I'm saying we will not just deal with the predator, we will deal with the person that's complicit with the predator. Okay? Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this so that you allow me to say something else. Is there something else that needs to be said today? And the answer is yes. What is it? It is that we are to honor and respect our fathers. Okay? Okay? Can I please, please say that we have to honor and respect our fathers? And you might sit there and say what I remember this woman saying on the floor of Presbytery. She was coming to be ordained as a pastor, and she wouldn't mention the fatherhood of God. She wouldn't use a male pronoun to refer to him back in 1984. 
I stood up and I said, I've noticed that you will not refer to God as Father or even as He. Why is this? Well, sir, I'm not sure that you understand that there are some of us that find, find male pronouns and, and the name Father hurtful with respect to God. Like priests, like people. And so now we have churches that are absolutely filled with people who have been hurt by their fathers, disappointed by their fathers, who have had fathers who are complicit in covering up evil. And so I have noticed over the course of my lifetime a distinct decrease, and it's noticeable in addressing God as Father in prayer. It's noticeable. Our Bibles have about one-third less occurrences of Father and its cognates in our new translations. We are absolutely caught up in an orgy of patricide. And that patricide is squired into the church through the Trojan horse of the Me Too movement. Me Too movement itself is not innocent. It has consequences that are patricidal. Many good motives, many evil effects. You know, and it's the same thing for the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes, absolutely there's racism. Yes, absolutely minorities are abused by law enforcement officers. No question about it. But have any of you stopped to think that the end result of George Soros, here's a hint, George Soros funding it, here's a hint, (laughs) that the end result of it is that blacks themselves will be less safe. Do you realize this? Because law enforcement officers are scared out of their wits when they try to protect us. Have you ever watched any guy try to fight when he's scared out of his wits? You know, it even makes him really good or really bad. You don't want your law enforcement officers thinking that the way that they hold their head, you know, or the way that they lift their shoe, you know, is going to get them busted. Yes, yes, Black Lives Matter has real social injustices that are being addressed. Yes, yes, yes. Do I need to have another 20-minute exposition of the good things Black Lives Matter is dealing with and that there are some people that are complicit in covering up police officers abusing minorities? Yes, 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 yes. But what about the effect of Black Lives Matter of killing fathers? What about putting policemen into a straitjacket that nobody can live with? Are Christians really incapable of seeing this today? Can we really not have discernment? And can we have one Christian who will speak up in public and defend fathers What I want is I want to see women who are Christian defending their husbands. I want to see children who honor their father because their mother honors their father. Uh, uh, Y'all with me? Still there? Can I keep preaching? And I don't think that that in any way excuses the sin of fathers. 
It just doesn't. Again, ask any woman here who's permanently here after the benediction. We don't cut fathers slack because we're men and they're men, and after all, men matter more than women. You know, fathers' lives matter. You know? We just don't do that. But Christians should be capable of understanding that if we kill fatherhood in our homes and in our marriages, guess what happens? The fatherhood of God dies. Because your husband stands in the place of God to your children. And if your children grow up in your home and they learn not to honor their father, you have taught them that, and they will not honor God. Do you get this? Do you realize that this argument that the prophet Malachi is making does not work with us? Because if somebody says to us as a church, you know, what's the text? The text is, a son honors his father, major premise, minor premise, then can't I be honored, says God? Now, you get the humor. God's never a minor premise, you know. The major premise is, do you honor your fathers? And the answer that's expected is what? Of course, right? Well, then where's my honor? But here's how it works with us. Do do you honor me, your heavenly father? And our answer is... Of course. And then, well, why aren't you honoring your father? Do you see this? We're so twisted that the argument doesn't work with us. All right, now, how can I say we don't honor God because we don't honor our fathers? Well, because this is what it says in 1 John. Listen to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You all with me? So here's the way we reword this for us. It's helpful this morning. If someone says, I honor and respect God and dishonors and disrespects his father, he is a liar. For the one who does not honor his father whom he has seen cannot honor his father whom he has not seen. I think it's an impregnable argument. If you don't honor your father, don't tell me that you honor God. You don't. If you don't respect the authority of human institutions human offices held by sinners, then you don't honor God. And you say, well, wait a second, how can I honor sinners in the position of fatherhood or officers or whatever? And I say, well, how can you love somebody who's a sinner? After all, the difficulty in loving someone is that they're a sinner. And so you could say to God, well, no, God, that's not true. I love you, and I don't love my brother because my brother's a sinner. And God says, no, if you don't love your brother, then you don't love me. And you say, well, but I can't submit to a sinner. And God says, if you don't submit to a sinner, you don't submit to me. Now, why? Well, because we forgive as God has forgiven us, right? Okay? 
We love as God has loved us, right? We respect authority because why? Well, because there's no authority that's been given among men except by God. By God! Do you understand? The authority of a father is God speaking to you. It is not secondary. Okay? God has ordained not just the concept of authority. God has ordained specific authority. Donald Trump is in office because God ordained it. Nero was in office because God ordained it. King David was in office because God ordained it. King Solomon was in office because God ordained it. Idi Amin was in office because Joseph Stalin was in office because God ordained him. And you say, well, that can't be. And I say, well, it is. Every authority, Scripture says. They're all ordained by God. You say, well, how could God ordain somebody that killed 20 to 60 million people? And I say, I don't know. Because the Bible doesn't tell me why God does what he does. (coughs) But the Bible does tell me that every authority is ordained by God. And so... If you, if you de-escalate from Joseph Stalin, okay? So let's come down from the mountaintop of 20 to 60 million to your husband. God says, submit to him. And you say, but he doesn't know my husband. Huh? What did I say? Say something wrong? Yeah. You say, he doesn't know my husband. And I say, yeah, he does. (laughs) Sorry. Actually, he does. I say to you, respect and honor your pastor. And you say, well, you don't know Tim Bailey. And I say, well, God says that you're supposed to submit to those in authority over you, the Lord. And you say... Well, God doesn't know Tim Bailey. And actually, he does. Sometimes I tell women in counseling that It might look like it's easy to be a husband and a father, but it's actually not. I was sitting talking to a man who's who's trying to repent of homosexuality recently. And I was telling him that the one part of my life I don't ever want ever, ever, ever to have to go through again is finding a wife and marrying her. Because it is unbelievably intimidating and scary and fearful. And the guy looked at me, he said, no, really? I said, (laughs) yup, and then I turned to the other men in the room with me, and they're all going, yup, 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 yup. And he looked at us and he said, why didn't somebody tell me this? He thought this was proof he was gay. I'm like, no, you're just a man. (laughs) Women intimidate the snot out of you. 
And as bad as it is before marriage, after you get married, it gets worse. God says to Adam after the fall, because you listen to the voice of your wife. And it's not a compliment. <laughs> and every man knows why he listened to the voice of his wife. <laughs> the great secret about manhood. <laughs> oh my goodness. Women think that they have it hard and men have it easy. And you just don't have any idea. You want not just the approval of your children. The only approval a woman wants is the approval of her children. But you want the approval of your wife. And it's a, I'm not going to use an, an obscenity as I preach, but it's a very difficult thing <laughs> to get the approval of your wife. Do you understand this? I remember a New Yorker cartoon. It's a woman talking to her husband. She says to her husband, Honey, you're a man, and so I can never approve of you. <laughs> and men tell these jokes to each other, and we laugh because we know we never have the approval of our wife. Ever. What woman ever approves of her husband? If this is your gift in life to be married to such a woman, I'd like to hear about it afterwards. <laughs> you know, I mean, what a joke. So how, how would you like to trade places with your husband? How would you like it? Listen, God has given us the, the unique and specific, sex-specific callings that he's given us. And it's your privilege as a woman to help your husband to live the authority that God has, has, has placed in his body. And he doesn't like having to be a man. He doesn't like being a father. He doesn't like being a husband. Every man secretly has a job working in a fire tower out in the middle of the wilderness. If you don't know this about your husband, ask him. And that's why people ice fish. <laughs> okay? Because they want there to be some place where they don't have to listen to it. This is true. Okay? And the, the, the bummer is that she's right. It's just hopeless. But listen... God has put his fatherhood in man. And it is your job to make his life easier because he knows he's a failure. But God is pleased to use sinners to be an authority. And if you think the fact that you're under an authority who's a sinner justifies you disrespecting your father and your husband and your pastors and your elders and the law enforcement officers, on and on and on and on, you don't have a clue about the authority of God because he is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And one day soon you will stand before him and you will give an answer for every act of rebellion. You know, well, I better not do that.
Let me read what Scripture says about children who don't respect their father. It says in Proverbs 19.26, He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. This morning in the first service, I flipped it and started it where I'm going to come to an end here, which is this, this weekend, I went up to um, Wisconsin to where Mary Lee and I started in the ministry. And I went up there because there was a man who died. And that man was, oh, he was such a precious gift to us with his wife. It was Laura uh, and her husband, Wayne. He was the pastor of the Baptist church in town. And he was a godly man. And as soon as we came to town, he invited us over for dinner with Laura. So we went over and had dinner with him. And over the years, we developed a very close relationship with Wayne and Laura. And there was an awkwardness as we developed our friendship in that we had people in our churches um, maybe only one couple so I might I might be wrong in saying churches I haven't thought about it but we had people in our churches and people who were our friends who we knew well who wanted Wayne gone they wanted him gone from his church But he'd been there 22 years. He'd built that church. He'd physically helped to build the building. And this was a man who had gotten into his older years, who had faithfully served the same church for decades. He didn't want to be up there. He was a Hoosier. He wanted to come where they knew basketball. But he stayed there. He had an opportunity to come here. No, no, he stayed at his church, and he loved and loved and loved and loved them. But now he'd gotten a little bit long in the tooth. And they were done with him, and they wanted him gone, 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 because there were important things to do and important people to impress, and Wayne wasn't really impressive, you know? He was still faithful. He still loved his sheep. He still preached. He still did visitation. His wife was godly. She wasn't a gossip. There was no reason to get rid of him other than he'd gotten old. Are you with me? And so I'm reading, I decide I'm going to preach on the Ten Commandments. It was stupid, you know. If I'd known what I was going to do when I preached the Ten Commandments, I never would have done it because I was at a church where the Ten Commandments didn't go over very well, you know. I kept expecting them to throw tomatoes at me every Sunday because one of my elders was a 16-year-old who was now 18. She'd been ordained to the eldership when she was 16 in the church. And she was now 18 or 19 and living with her boyfriend at the college in Iowa. And I'm preaching the Ten Commandments. Oh, boy. And so I keep wondering when the tomatoes are going to come. You know? Yeah. And so I get to the Fifth Commandment, and because I'm wet behind the ears, don't know what I'm doing, I'm reading a dead guy to tell me what to say when I preach, right? Which is what you need to do. And I'm reading Thomas Watson on the Ten Commandments. And I get to the fifth commandment, and Thomas Watson says, now, when when the Bible says honor your father, it means something much larger than your daddy. It means people of stations in life that are fatherhood. And so you honor the king because the king is a father to his nation. And, And as I say in the book, Daddy Tried, I say, the world exploded because all of a sudden I saw that there was fatherhood everywhere, right? Then he says, men who are older are fathers by virtue of age. So we owe honor to the older men in this church because they're fathers simply by virtue. Then he said, 
We need to honor our pastors who have faithfully taken care of us because they are fathers of the flock. And I just sat there thinking, oh my, that's what's wrong. They're not honoring their father. He has faithfully cared for them. He's diapered them and cleaned them and nursed them and tenderly fed them for over two decades. And now they have no honor for their father. So I'm at this funeral. He's died. And here's a church filled with people, including a couple, that were at my church because they left his church. But of course, now they're back at that church. And everything was about what a wonderful man he was. And I couldn't help but sit there thinking about all the people who were commending this man who were after him. Back in 1983. And I didn't think this to judge them. I thought this, that I wish somebody would stand up and say, some of you need to ask God to forgive you for your treatment of this man. Wouldn't it be wonderful to once have a funeral where the thing that needed to be said was said? <laughs> you know, just once, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and remember, these people are dear friends of mine right? The people that harmed him and spoke ill of him are dear friends of mine. I I love some of them. So it's not because I have an axe to grind with them. But it's just like, can't we at death admit the failures that we have committed against the person that died? And the the failures they committed against us, (laughs) you know? Shouldn't death be one place where sin is still safe to exist? So anyhow, then I get in the car and I'm driving back home. And I get on the phone with an old friend, and this old friend is talking about the fact that he's been estranged from his wife for many, many years now. And then he describes his relationship with his children. And he's estranged from most of his children. Just a tragic, awful story. They were raised evangelicals, Christians, you know. Uh, (laughs) You know, they know famous Christians, you know. And, And so I'm talking to him, and then he describes to me how on multiple occasions his son tried to get him to fight with him. And this guy's speaking of this in a way that's just banal. To him, it's just a fact of his life that as he grew up, his son tried to beat the snot out of him. And he restrained himself because he didn't want to do to his son what he knew he could do. And this goes on for a long time in this conversation where I have this picture of a son doing that. And then I remember a man that I used to work with describing to me one day, he's playing one-on-one basketball with one of his sons, and his son turns to him in the middle of the game and says, I want to beat the you-know-what out of you. Seriously? God we home, God we parents, and this is how we talk to our fathers? You wouldn't be surprised to know that when I heard that story, do you know what I wanted to do? Huh? You think you know, but you don't know. You think you know. What you all think I wanted to do was what? I wanted to beat the snot out of that son, but I didn't. I wanted to beat the snot out of his father. 
I was so offended for that father. What? How could I wake him up? How could I wake him up? I couldn't wake him up. I was so offended for him that he had a son like that. It was awful. It was awful. Look, we have to begin to honor our fathers and our husbands. We just have to. We have to do it. And fathers, you know the point I'm going to make to you. You must require your wife to respect you. You must do it. And it scares you to death to do it. I know that. Trust me, it scares me to death. Will any of you please believe me? But you don't have any, any choice. Why? Because you stand in the place of God. That's why. It is your obligation to uphold the order that God has established simply by virtue of your body parts. You are a man, and so you are a father. This is not complicated. And you say to me, well, how am I supposed to respect my husband when he's not respectable? And I say, okay, here we are. We're intimate. We know each other. Show me a respectable father. Lawrence? Is Lawrence respectable? Ask Janet. How about Joe? Is Joe respectable? No, he isn't actually. Somebody had to hit him pretty hard on his head to get him into this church. Right, Joe? And so I go around. You think Stephen is respectable? He's not. You know I'm not, because I preach to you. You think Mike is respectable? <laughs> That's a joke, right, Aaron? I mean, you respect him, but is he respectable? Aaron's, Aaron's a good boy. He's not going to say no. <laughs> How about Scott? Scott respectable? You know, the one word I've never, ever heard any son of Bob say about him is that he's respectable. <laughs> okay, is Max respectable? I think probably if there was one man in this church that everybody would say is respectable, it would be Max, right? Okay, Max, where are you? Yeah, come on up. What you think is that Max is respectable because he's godly. That's what you think. But actually, that's not why he's respectable. 
And he will now tell you why he's respectable. This is going to be great. Now, Tim had asked me to talk about applications of these things for, for children and mothers and wives. And I, in thinking about it, I wanted to talk to you about my mother. I could tell you something about my father. It's Father's Day. My father was a godly man. He became a Christian after the Second World War. And I would say of my father, he was one of those people that was thoroughly converted. And it stuck. And his life was, everything was negotiable when my father became a Christian. When my father and mother, they both became Christians at the same time. Um, but about, and about my father, I would say to you that I, I both loved him and feared him. I loved him a great deal and I never, and, and I never felt any place to be more safe than with my father. I feared him a great deal and I never felt any place where I felt more responsibility than to my father, okay? But how did my mother contribute to that? Well, I was thinking about it as Tim asked me to say something, and I would say that my mother contributed in that I have no, and I'm I'm sure it probably happened at some point, but I have no memory in my life of my mother even going like this. No memory of a signal that she gave me about about my father. I have no memory of her saying... Um, who do you think you are? I have, I have uh, no whatevers in my mind, you know, whatever. Nothing like that ever came out of my mother's mouth. And my parents were sinners, and they had lots of stuff happen, I know, that I don't know anything about. But the fact of the matter was that My mother looked at my father and she demonstrated toward her children her honoring of her husband. And that was ground zero to our our family and our lives and everything that happened to us. Now, why was it ground zero? Well, it made the home good, but it did something much, much better much further beyond that. It actually brought about an understanding of God to all of her children. Uh, Tim says we're trying to kill God, but you know what? We can try to kill God as much as we want. We can try to suppress him as much as we want. We can fail with our children and fail demonstrating the authority and respect of our husbands as much as we want, but guess what? God is not dead. God does not end, and he does not stop being God. And the scripture says that one day, the one who, to whom everything is laid bare before his eyes, it says in Hebrews, we will all stand before him, the one with whom we have to do. And that is God, the Father Almighty. And so when we teach our children the respect and honor of their fathers, we are teaching them the respect and honor of God the Father the one that they will stand before one day and give an account. Have you ever had your mother say to you, you just wait till your father gets home? Anybody? My mom had occasion to do this once or twice with me, right? 
What was she saying to me? The one with whom you have to do will arrive. He's coming. And when she said it, she knew the impact it would have on my life because the intervening time was not pleasant at all. And that's the reality of my mother demonstrating before me her honor of my father, but my father's placeholder for God the Father Almighty. And it made all of her children, I have six siblings, all seven of us, confess Christ. And we, all seven of us, I think, you wouldn't have a conversation with my siblings where they would say, oh, God ought not to be feared. I don't think they would really say that. I think they have within them the love and fear of God that's appropriate because of the work my mother did. So message to moms, wives, none of this, no whatevers. And it's not, it's a fight I know my wife tells me. (laughs) She fights honoring me. And I don't blame her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She fights honoring me, and but she does. And it's a sweet, sweet thing. You know, um, in Titus 2, it says older women are to teach younger women. We all know this, right? And then it gives the curriculum that they're supposed to teach younger women. And it's basically, you know, submit to your husbands, you know, be keepers at home, this domestic stuff, right? But what's really interesting is that it it speaks of authority, but then at the end, what does it do? It says, so that, what? So that the word of God will not be maligned. And so what we need to realize, we're all real hip on quoting Francis Schaeffer in The Mark of the Christian, saying that the world will judge the church by her love for one another, and we're all love, 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 everything is love, right? But the world also judges us on the basis of our respect for and submission to authority it would be hard to pick a worst example that I give the world than when I'm arguing with a law enforcement officer, which I did recently. This is scandalous that as a pastor, I would argue with a law enforcement officer. Okay? It is scandalous to your children when they see you not respecting your husband. Same principle. And so what we have to do is have faith. It may be, for many of you, the only way you're going to be able to honor your husband is for you to remember that by honoring your husband, you will teach your children to fear and honor God. That may be the only motivation that will work with you. Okay? But it's sufficient. It doesn't really matter to me what your motivation is. As long as you realize that your children will think of God the way you think of your husband. Okay? And so honor him. Now, one last thing for those of you who are children. Everything I've said also applies to you. You are to honor your father and your mother. Why? If you know the fifth commandment, you'll be able to answer. Why? Why are you to honor your father and mother? Why? Come on, give me the answer. Is there any child here that knows the actual commandment? Come on, Daniel. Give it out loud. 
Yes, so that you may live long in the land that, you're, that God will give you. So that we call it the first commandment with what? With a promise. And so as kids, God doesn't tell you to honor your father and your mother because your mother and father are honorable. Okay, same principle. You honor them because they stand in the place of God to you. And so it is piety, it is holiness, it is sanctification, it is being like Jesus to honor your father and mother, because Jesus honored his father. That's such a helpful thing to me, to see Jesus, God incarnate, saying, I'm here to do my daddy's work. I'm here to obey my father. I must do the works my father has shown me. And to see the pride that Jesus has in his father. That's the way you should be towards your dad. Your dad's a sinner. Your dad is, is weak. Sometimes he's fearful a lot more often than you realize. And yet he is your father. And so honor your father and your mother. Don't argue with him. Yeah, you're smarty, pants. I know that. I'm talking to my grandson, Daniel. Everybody agrees it's smarty pants, right? Yeah, 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 Bailey agrees. Josiah agrees. His cousins agree. Yeah, yeah. We know you're smart, but are you smart enough to keep your mouth shut? You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's okay. It's hard. Okay? All right, let's come to the Lord's table and celebrate his righteousness. Let's proclaim his death because we need him to wash us because we are fearful and timid. <laughs>